You can't let your failures define you. You have to let your failures teach you. These amazing words were said by Honorable and former President Barack Obama and I 100% agree with every word being said. Yes, failures are kind of messy. They make us feel that this is the end of the line, pal. Let's give up on this. There's nothing beyond this. But the truth is, everything is beyond that end of the line. Another beginning, another chance to succeed, another lesson being learned. It is completely your call of how you want to take failure as. Completely your choice of looking at failure with the positive aspect or the negative one. Completely your decision to get up and start again or sit and crib about it. Hello and welcome with all the love and gratitude. I'm your show host Mithali Ohri here again with another very special and an important episode that will change your perspective of the way you look at failure. Our amazing guest Andrea Thorpe King will educate you on how failure holds a lot of value on the road to success and discuss his book Failure Rules. Andrea Thorpe King is an executive fintech banker, spy novelist, speaker, punk rocker, podcaster, ex-bodybuilder, cigar lover and serial entrepreneur. He founded two independent record labels, Thorpe Records and Sailor's Grave Records and has invested in many spaces including online lending, fitness, lead generation and independent music. Just like his name, he turned out to be a king of his life and fate. So with all that being said, let us welcome Andrew. Andrew, welcome to Self Talk Show. I would first like to applaud you for your commendable work and also want to thank you for choosing this show as a medium to discuss your book. Secondly, very honored to have you as my podcast guest. So let me begin by asking you what's your story of transformation? How did you overcome all the failures and became the Andrew Thorpe King? What was your moment of impact that woke you? So yeah, my my story of transformation really started I think throughout my uh, 20s and 30s, as I was kind of stumbling through uh, my life as an adult in the working world, uh, and uh, both by nature and necessity, I was I was kind of drawn towards entrepreneurial pursuits. I had a young family, uh, one income, uh, and was not finding jobs that really could pay me enough to really provide enough for my family. Uh, so that was one element. The other element was I was really on this journey and on this quest to find a way to marry money and meaning. I knew that money was important from a utilitarian standpoint uh, and even from a flourishing standpoint. I also knew that meaning was important to really sustain any sort of fulfillment or happiness over time. So it was this constant kind of toggle between money and meaning and how do I marry the two. And throughout my 20s and 30s, I did many things to try to uh, reach that balance between money and meaning and, and most of it many of them resulted in lots of failures and it was kind of the lessons I learned throughout my 20s and 30s that really informed the book uh, as I was on the precipice of my 40s uh, and walking through twin failure moments uh, one was a business divorce that I had just gone through in an online lending company that I was partner in uh, I had left the company because of some some disagreements with the partner uh, I kind of forfeited my position as COO, sold my shares, and really was at a point where I had my core income uh, had gone away. I had other income and I had to reorganize my life to move forward and think about my next my next pursuits. Uh, and at the same time, I was uh, on the precipice of a marital divorce with my first wife. So I was walking on the beach and thinking about all the different entrepreneurial kind of experimentation and pursuits that I'd gone after, all which kind of burned inside me and I chased after until either 
uh, failure, uh, partial success, full success, or any variation in between, uh, because that's my nature to, to chase what burns inside me, to destroy future regret so that I'm never on my deathbed thinking, what would I, you know, what, what should I have done, or what if, you know, what if I actually chase this? Uh, that's been one of my greatest satisfactions. And so I'm thinking through this, and I had um, done many, many um, kind of ventures, everything from uh, owning and starting record labels to working in the music industry to starting a financial planning. Uh, practice to, uh, you know, again, um, being a part owner in online lending companies, owning a gym, to writing a spy novel. I've done many, many things. And, you know, as I reflected on this, on this beach walk, of course, I'm listening to punk rock music because I'm an old punk rocker. So the songs uh, Hard Times by the Cro-Mags, Cro-Mags, uh, the singer for Cro-Mags, John Joseph, who's a triathlete, author of The PMA Effect. He wrote the foreword to Failure Rules. He's also been a guest on Joe Rogan many times. Uh, and also I was listening to the song uh, Ace of Spades by Motorhead uh, and, and kind of the lyrics to those songs along with the quote by Winston Churchill uh, that success is going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm really kind of drove me to think about uh, what had been kind of the enduring uh, endorphin that had gotten me through various failures and it was essentially uh, it was my enthusiasm and I thought about uh, how I had gone through a bankruptcy how I had uh, abandoned a home at one time how I had fallen on public assistance all these kind of really terrible things that happened through the nooks and crannies of going from one pursuit to another uh, that really, uh, you know, challenged me. And I wanted to kind of write a book about the lessons I had learned from that, as well as, you know, what were the sustaining inspirational inputs, be it, uh, be it writers, be it uh, spirituality, uh, you know, sacred text, be it uh, music, be it podcasts, these kind of key virtual mentors uh, that kind of informed my strength during these times. And so that's when I got the idea for Failure Rules with an exclamation mark, the five rules of failure for entrepreneurs, creatives, and authentics. And I wrote some loose notes that day, that was end of 2013, uh, and began writing the book in 2014. Uh, and, and the first first draft was, uh, as, as um, Hemingway would say, was crap, although he would use a different word. And uh, But from draft to draft over the years, it really got refined and started to reveal its structure ended up being, uh, you know, where all these lessons kind of uh, anchored each chapter uh, to a quote. Uh, and then uh, these lessons rolled up very naturally in categories into these five rules of failure that I've identified. So that was really kind of the origin story of the transformation uh, and uh, has kind of informed, I think, you know, the way to premeditatively think of and handle failures has informed, um, you know, how I approach my work-life tapestry now and uh, continually work to marry money and meaning. Uh, and you know, throughout my 40s, I've had much more, uh, you know, a better stretch of prosperity, uh, and uh, has have continued to maintain a portfolio of pursuits. Work as a fintech banker, still run record labels in the background. Uh, you know, get wrote the spy novel. Have had other ventures, and now I'm really kind of fully focused on tying in all those experience under the umbrella of the five rules of failure within the book Failure Rules. Oh my goodness, Andrew! I'm feeling so inspired right now. I'm sure our audience are too. That's one of the brilliant transformation stories I've ever heard. I can say you are the jack of all trades and master of all as well. Would you like to shed some light over your work? What role did music play during your difficult phase? So yeah, again, in terms of, 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 of shedding light on my work, I think I just kind of kind of went through some of the things that I have done in the past and 
what I'm engrossed in now. Again, I'm a I'm an executive fintech banker, which means I, I work for an online tech company that services the financial technology space. So uh, we work with companies that are similar to uh, a lot of these companies that have very cool apps and help you move money quickly or across borders or in interesting ways. You know, the Venmos, the Chimes of the world, those type of companies. Uh, and I really enjoy that work. Uh, I work kind of more in like an innovation lab type thing where I work on projects uh, that, are, that are new, new initiatives, new products and services, help make the case to the enterprise and then mobilize them through uh, working with the various teams within the bank to get them uh, into production. Uh, and so that's one really large piece of my, my work life. Uh, and then again, I, I still maintain record labels in the background, Thorpe Records and Sailor's Grave Records. One is a hardcore metal label that has done uh, records for bands like Madball, Blood for Blood, Sheer Terror, Slapshot, old school New York hardcore punk bands. Uh, the other one is uh, Sailor's Grave Records. It's done records for uh, different subgenres like Psychobilly, which mix, mixes, um, uh, which mixes, mixes like rockabilly with punk rock, and uh, I've done bands like Coffin Cats and The Creep Show. Also, uh, Oi Music, which uh, you know is kind of a, a British derivative of more like pub rock uh, with lots of chants, soccer hooligan type music. Uh, bands like The Business or Booze and Glory, uh, and, and even Celtic punk bands like the, like Flatfoot 56 that integrate bagpipes into, into what they do. Um, so I do that, and then I, I love writing, right? And I love thinking, and I love uh, that world. And so, you know, really I've kind of been a student over the years on top of uh, loving spy novels and writing my own spy novel, which is Blaze, Operation Persian Trinity. Also, you know, really kind of fell into, kind of as in my own uh, you know, uh, studies and absorption and helping me navigate work life and balancing it with personal life and spiritual and emotional life. And I've really spawned into, I guess, some would call it the self-help space. I would say more business psychology, right? Um, uh, and so reading, you know, various books in that space really led me to, to write Failure Rules. Two books that were wildly influential and kind of uh, inspired me to write this were James Altucher's Choose Yourself, I love James's raw, uh, raw um, vulnerability and his creative way of thinking about hacks to, uh, you know, uh, you really use the power of um, uh, of disintermediation and uh, in, in online access to uh, create a a different kind of life in an entrepreneurial fashion. And also uh, uh, Srinivas Rao's book, um, The Art of Being Unmistakable, uh, is also a great book that really kind of details his life as a corporate misfit and how he kind of went off road and and uh, tied in his love for surfing uh, to kind of create his own, um, you know, pursuits in writing and in podcasting. Uh, and so that, that was another book that really kind of uh, inspired me. Uh, and, and to your question about uh, music and what role that play, plays for me during difficult phases, you know, I, I reference and write a lot about, uh, you know, hardcore punk bands and quotes from songs that have really inspired me and literally buoyed me through hard times. So there's a soundtrack uh, companion to, to the book that's on Spotify and Apple Music, the Failure Rules soundtrack. And they're, they're literally the songs uh, that either uh, inspired some of the writings or uh, I listened to while I was writing it. You know, and so it's, uh, again, a lot of hardcore punk bands, bands like Rancid, bands like Madball, bands like Billy Bio, Down to Nothing, uh, and then even some outliers, right? So it's my authentic soundtrack, even some ma mainstream stuff, some non-punk hardcore stuff. You know, everything from Eminem to Bob Seger to Machine Gun Kelly uh, and Johnny Cash, right? Um, music's always been that soundtrack for me. It's always given me that strength, uh, just the magic of the lyricism and how that interacts with the melodies and the beats or the guitars uh, to, to really, you know, you know, help stir that energy, whether it's 
uh, before I'm um, going on a podcast or before I'm sitting down for a writing session or while I'm in a writing session or before I'm getting ready to speak to hundreds of executives to, to present a, a project proposal. Uh, music is, is, is one of the most uh, powerful fuels of, uh, of, of my life and, and uh, my work life. That's amazing. Music is the one to which every individual connects to and it energizes us, really takes us to a different world filled with different perspectives. Let us discuss your book, Failure Rules. What factors influence your decision to include the five failures in this book and what are these five rules of failure for entrepreneurs, creative and authentics? So in terms of you know what influenced my decision to include the five failure uh, rules, in the book and kind of structure it that way. Um, it really was looking at the manuscript in, in later drafts and saying, how can I make this more accessible to the reader and break it down into chunks? And so I had these lessons, uh, uh, you know, that are attached to each chapter uh, that were kind of informed by an anchor quote uh, by, you know, uh, you know, either an influencer or a virtual mentor, uh, you know, whether it be Aristotle or, uh, you know, uh, Gene Simmons from Kiss. So a wide variety of anchor quotes uh, at the top of each chapter. And again, I, I found that uh, I was able to kind of chunk themes of certain chapters into um, categories and those categories became rules. So the five rules of failure are failure rule number one is failure purifies. It's the idea that if you are able to step out of your failure events and be an objective observer of them as opposed to a emotional participant in them, uh, that you can see the failure as something uh, that might be transformative for you and actually might be a friend of yours. Even if it was something you didn't want and wished you avoided, uh, there's usually something in there that can help transform you. Oftentimes in failures, you know, you can find old thinking that needed to die, old ways of being that needed to transform into new ways of being, and you can let that failure transform you as you stretch yourself into a better next version of yourself uh, and, uh, and more succinctly join yourself with your calling journey. It's the idea that the Phoenix must burn to emerge and you have to go through those flames to do that. It also kind of dovetails with the idea that author Nassim Tlaib, uh, who also published through Lioncrest Publishing, uh, my publisher, uh, his book Anti-Fragile, he talks about, you know, there's, there's certain people in this world that are oriented as such where, uh, where they um, not only are resilient when they fall or when they fail or when harm hits them, but they actually gain from harm. They have an exponential growth out of it, uh, like a hydra. And so it's, it's also dovetails with that idea. Uh, failure rule number two is nothing is safe. Uh, and it's the idea that your dreams aren't safe, the world isn't safe, so stop pretending so. Don't always put safety first. Measure safety prudently against other competing values and see where it ought, uh, you know, rightly fall in the rank of your uh, evaluation of any sort of pursuit or, or, or thing you're going after. Uh, and so, you know, there's lots of examples of, of kind of how I frame that idea in the book. Uh, one of them is Mike Rowe, his show Dirty Jobs. He had an episode called Safety Third, which was really just his way of saying, you know, don't always place safety first. Doesn't mean you have to ar arbitrarily place it third. Uh, but he's saying that the, the same idea, that safety ought to be evaluated against other competing values, some of which may often be higher than safety. Uh, and that if your world is all about safety, it's probably too small. You're probably not doing anything difficult. And you're probably not really actualizing uh, you know, your talent stack in a way where you're giving the world the highest use of yourself and really reaching the fulfillment you need to reach. Failure rule number three, money is spiritual. Uh, so that is the idea that uh, money is really an agnostic tool. 
if you uh, avoid the failure edge territories of envy and greed, which I believe are malevolent twin siblings and are really just inverse uh, kind of spirits. Uh, if you avoid those e edges, that money itself can be a tool, a tool of blessing. That's essentially a thank you note where money itself in a transaction is, you know, when used rightly is you, uh, you know, placing value on something uh, which reflects your measured thankfulness. And uh, money can be something that uh, really buoys people out of poverty, that helps to bless others, and can really, you know, fuel innovation and uh, advancement in humankind and in individuals. Um, so that's failure rule number three. Failure rule number four is build your thing one and thing two dependency. Thing one and thing two is not a cat in the hat reference. Uh, it's more, I think, of like a disheveled Tony Soprano, uh, you know, waking up uh, with his first cigar of the day in his white bathrobe and saying, hey, you got a thing one enabler over here and a thing two uh, North Star pursuit over there. And so it's the idea that you have an enabler pursuit that really gives you the scaffolding and structure to give you at least a little more stability as you chase an aspirational North Star pursuit that might have more risk. Uh, and then you can then go after that uh, with a little bit of a platform of stability. And it's about the idea that you can't just go after your dreams all the time head first without some sort of supporting structure around it. And sometimes you're gonna be very creative about that. Uh, I go through an example in the book of um, two brothers uh, who, who came to uh, the United States from Lebanon. And for them, their pursuit of happiness was to be in business for themselves. They wanted to build a retail uh, kind of uh, you know, brick and mortar uh, em empire or mini empire in the city they lived in. So uh, they didn't have the seed money. And so they didn't just work regular nine to five jobs, have expenses and put money aside. They creatively found a job working for Disney on ice, traveling, working in uh, the, the, the vending truck, selling merch. Disney on ice covered their uh, lodging, covered all their food. So they had no expenses. They're married to the road, had no home for two years. That gave them an accelerated way to save up their seed money and come back and build that empire. And so they ended up owning gas stations and gyms and cigar lounges, other retail uh, you know, um, stores, and they actually lived their dream. So it's the idea that they use that thing one enabler of Disney on Ice to help them get, build towards their thing two North Star dream. Failure rule number five, you are not your failures. Uh, this is a tough one for a lot of people, but I think it's the most powerful. Uh, it's the idea that just because you go through a failure event, you do not need to, uh, you can decouple that from your identity. You are not your failures, right? It feels that way in, in the heat of it. It feels like that's who you are. That's just part of your character because it's embedded in your story. But again, if you step outside of the event and become an objective observer, you realize that's not who you are. You are not your failure. It's just an event. Find a way to learn from it. Find a way to pull value and help it inform a, a, a more wise and a more uh, you know integrated person as you move forward. Lots of examples in the book uh, around failure rule number five, um, including uh, an example about um, uh, Elgin James, who uh, was once the leader of a violent street gang, also happens to be half-brother of Jocko Willink. Uh, he, Elgin was uh, involved in the hardcore punk scene, particularly the straight edge scene, which was uh, a subgenre of punk that abstained from alcohol and drugs. Uh, and, and he was in a violent faction of it where they actually would beat up people that did drugs or drank at different punk shows. Uh, it, was a, it, it turned to be a very negative kind of gang that he was in. Uh, and uh, he, he, he did some things that really he had to pay for. He ended up um, being sentenced for some extortion charges. Uh, but he was also pursuing another dream in parallel as he walked away from gang, li uh, gang life and uh, renounced it. Uh, he then uh, chased his... Uh, North Star pursuit, his thing to dream, to become a screenwriter. Moved to LA with his girlfriend, ended up becoming a mentee to Robert Redford, 
Uh, and on the day of his sentencing, there was kind of this, you know, paradox moment where he talks about shedding his, pa you know, shedding his past but paying for it. And at the same time, that same day, he also got uh, was given a deal by Universal Pictures for his first film. Uh, he went on to, you know, uh, healthily uh, pay for his past and decouple his identity from that that ethical failure, and then also to become screenwriter for uh, the hit show Mayans FX, which was a spinoff to uh, FX Channel's hit show Sons of Anarchy. I would highly recommend to all the beautiful listeners to order your copy of Andrew's recently published book, Failure Rules. Find the link in the episode description. In your last chapter, You Are Not Your Failures, one of the subtopic was Rejection is Fuel. Would you like to elaborate the same? So yes, this question really centers around rejection. So I do have a chapter right, you know, on uh, in the book called Rejection is Fuel. Uh, and it is the idea that just like failure, you need to expect rejection when you're doing difficult things. You need to know that you will kind of have your ego knocked down a little bit as you encounter rejection. Uh, but you shouldn't really judge those that are rejecting you. You should kind of objectively analyze why they're rejecting you. Some rejections actually might be prudent, might be informative and constructive, and might be uh, helping you change to become better at what you're going after. And some rejection needs to be rejected and you need, uh, need discernment to figure that out. Uh, the rejection that needs to be rejected really is kind of a test of your will uh, to continue on in what you're doing and your belief in yourself. The rejection that needs to be accepted is a test of your flexibility and your humility uh, so that you know when you actually need to take sound advice, even if it comes and is delivered in a way that is abrasive uh, and, and inform your ways of, of change so you become better at what you're doing. Uh, and so it's this idea that rejection isn't really bad. Uh, it, it's, it's your reaction to it that matters. Uh, and, your, and your judgment of it. Uh, and so uh, that is one of the chapters in the book. I, I use a quote from Sylvester Stallone as an anchor quote where he basically says rejection for him is, for him is like a bugle blowing in his ear. Uh, and that's the way I live my, my life and, and that's the way that uh, I try to handle rejection when I'm doing it well. I completely agree with you that our reaction to rejection really matters and of course, do not judge those who reject you. In fact, analyze. How tough was it for you to make the decision to pursue a profession you enjoy or one that made more sense financially? So the, so the, the idea of pursuing something that is uh, more um, in line with uh, passions or, or something I love versus uh, something that makes sense financially, again, you know, it goes back to this idea of marrying money with meaning. I don't think you really ought to sacrifice one for another. So I talk about a portfolio pursuits mentality in the book. Uh, using an anchor quote from Gene Simmons from Kiss, where he says it's better to be an octopus than a fish. One tentacle gets sliced off. You have many more to keep swimming with. And so it's the idea of uh, having, a, you know, a portfolio of pursuits in your work life, in your interest life, in your hobby life, so that, you know, on the aggregate between the many things that you might be doing or pursuing, uh, some might carry low meaning, but high financial rewards. Some might carry low financial rewards, but high meaning or a mix of the two. But it's the idea that if you build this uh, in a sound way, you can hope to achieve as much of 100% uh, fulfillment in both money and meaning on the aggregate throughout that composite. So it's that idea as opposed to just having one job and maybe the job over time becomes deficient meaning or maybe it's deficient money, but high in meaning and you have that, 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 that struggle with uh, finances. And that doesn't really work. Either one of those scenarios that are in balance don't work. And so the idea here is to have a portfolio of pursuits to build that redundancy and give you a chance that on the, on the composite, on the aggregate, 
most times you can be as close to 100% as you possibly can in both of those buckets, the, the money and the meaning. What is your best piece of advice for folks who are afraid to take the plunge into something they are passionate about? So again, in terms of advice for, for, for people that are thinking about taking the plunge into something they're passionate about, again, I would say, remember failure rule number two, nothing is safe, your dreams aren't safe, but you ought to pursue them anyway, because even in the pursuing them, uh, you'll be able to satiate that desire uh, and you might actually be able to make headway towards your dreams. But while you're doing it, make sure you use you know, failure rule number four, build your thing one and thing two dependency. Try to build as much of a safe structure as possible to enable you to reach your dream with, with as little risk as possible. Uh, you're still gonna have some risk because all difficult pursuits have risk and you need to embrace that too, but you might, you might as well build a structure to try to mitigate them uh, as well. Uh, and uh, you know, remember this portfolio pursuits mentality that even, even as you're chasing your dream, you know, have some things in the back burner that you might need to pivot to or that might be able to fulfill other needs while you're going after this really, really high meaning aspirational North Star dream. And so it, it's thinking creatively on how to structure and balance these different things. Uh, because again, nothing is safe. That's a wonderful piece of advice, Andrew. What does it mean to you to be authentic even in the face of failure? So the word authentic is something really that uh, I use as a noun in the book. I, I, I'm probably the first one using it as such. I don't know, uh, but I do define it, the definition of terms. And it, it's really, I, I define it as someone who is um, really in touch with their internal spirit voice and those promptings uh, that might be calling them to this aspirational North Star, uh, you know, pursuit uh, or set of pursuits, which aligns with their calling journey, which is unique to them in terms of how they might uh, find ways to manifest their highest unique usefulness in the world. Um, and so it's from that perspective, right? So the more you're in touch with that spirit voice and align with the calling journey, the more authentic you really are. But at the same time, being authentic is a spectrum. As we get introduced to uh, new interests, uh, new settings, new ways of being, our authenticity will expand. It's, it's elastic. And so it's being in touch with that too, that it's an evolving thing. Um, uh, and I think when we're, confronted with failures, I think we have a couple responses. Uh, you know, the one would be to uh, be introspective and to figure out uh, how we can be authentic in those failures uh, and to own our responses to those failures and find a way to continue to be authentic as we move on, even if it's our expanding what our, our definition of our own authenticity is. Uh, and the other is to, you know, potentially cower and to cling to safety and drift away from our authenticity, drift away from difficult things, and drift away from risk because we've been burned by failure. And I think that would be, you know, a, a tragic response to a failure event. Incredible. How crucial is it for entrepreneurs to have backup plans when embarking on new ventures? So yeah, again, in terms of backup plans when embarking on ventures, goes back to the whole uh, thing one and thing two dependency idea, idea failure rule number four, and have that scaffolding, have that structure, to help you more safely go after your North Star pursuit, your aspirational dream, uh, as well as a portfolio pursuits mindset that's even larger than just thing one, thing two. Having some other things potentially built in there too, uh, to kind of build that composite to help you on the aggregate really fill those needs in you for, for money and meaning. So I would point back to, but point back to those concepts. How should entrepreneurs change their mentality about money? and the consequences of making or not making a lot of it. I think one of the chapters, Money is Spiritual, in your book also talks about the same, if I'm not wrong. 
So failure rule number three, money is spiritual. You know, you're, you're asking about that in this question uh, in terms of how entrepreneurs, you know, might think about uh, the consequences of making money or not making money. I think really, you know, the really key thing there is kind of this, uh, uh, you know, it's a cautionary tale, right? I mean, money is spiritual, really saying, you know, avoid envy and greed, avoid those failure uh, edge territories, uh, and uh, you'll probably have a higher likelihood of, uh, you know, genuine transactions in the world, uh, sustainability of your reputation, sustainability of a business, uh, even if not, uh, you know, um, you know, um, making tons of money. Um, but at the same time, you know, think about the power of money and its spiritual power as a thank you note, as a uh, as something that is, um, uh, you know, measuring your gratitude uh, or measuring gratitude towards you for whatever you're offering. Uh, and I think it's just thinking of money in that way, as opposed to, you know, the extremes of reviling money or worshiping money. Uh, and so that's essentially what that rule really details and all the chapters uh, uh, under that rule in the book. True. What advice do you offer to entrepreneurs who struggle to find time for themselves? So, yeah, what you're hitting on here with this question in terms of, you know, advice that I would offer to entrepreneurs struggling to find time for the sense time for themselves. That's really important. You know, I contend that one must really find ways to maintain a surplus uh, of solitude uh, to balance out a surplus of intense activity, uh, you know, in, in a potentially a, a VUCA environment, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, which I talk about in the book. Uh, and and these, these times of surplus solitude are really necessary to digest, to reflect, to step away from the trifles of the day-to-day, -day, think about big picture visions, make sure that you know, uh, you know, if there's any pivots that need to be contemplated, you're thinking through those while maintaining the overarching vision uh, and just digesting the complexity of life in general, uh, of being an entrepreneur and how that affects and influence and impacts your your own mental health and your personal relationships uh, and, and your spirituality. Any message that you would like to leave our listeners with? So, yeah, lastly, I'd say, you know, the, 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 the abiding message here, really, I would say that... Um, you know, really failure rule number four, number five, you are not your failures is probably a good takeaway to emphasize here. If you're walking through your failure right now, just try to find a way to step out of it, find a way to try to be an objective observer of that failure event, to not be as emotional of a participant. That's going to be a part of it, of course. Uh, and, and think of ways that you can use the chaos energy of that failure uh, to shape it into something that will serve you as you move forward into your next step as opposed to something that's going to destroy you or cripple you or paralyze you. Uh, and, and keep going, KBO, keep buggering on just like Churchill would say, and uh, you know, find a way to, to leverage your failures uh, as something that will transform you into a success path that's authentic for you. Uh, there's lots of examples in the book of that. You can find the book anywhere books are consumed online. You can find me at andrewthorpeking.com, no E on the end of Thorpe. You can, tech, content, uh, you can connect with me on Instagram through that. You can uh, connect with my YouTube channel where I have some produced videos uh, which um, you know, amplify the themes of the book in, in a different way. Also, my merchandise company, Soul and Fire Supply Company, can be found there. Some awesome designs related to the book. And you can get uh, a free Failure Rules mini course by signing up for my email list on the website. So please go check all that out, andrewthorpeking.com. No E on the end of Thorpe. And thank you so much for having me on the Self Talk Show. That's a wonderful message, Andrew. Thank you for your time. It was lovely having you on the show. 
You can connect with Andrew through his website. Find the link in the episode description. So with this, we come to an end of this episode. Hope you liked it and the feedback would definitely do wonders. I would really appreciate it if you can subscribe to Self Talk Show. More episodes and more awareness is coming your way. So stay tuned and keep self-talking. You can reach out to me for questions, queries or suggestions at www.selftalkshow.com or email me at showselftalk at theregmail.com or through social media pages on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Thank you again and see you with another episode.